Today is June 30th, and today I have a friend with me, Matt Ashcroft. So welcome to Native Calgarian. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you're here, Matt. Thank Oki. you so much for having me. Oh, Naganago, Mako Chase, Chase the My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Danai, and Bagani as a confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, uh, the Wesley Chiniki and Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot. I was born here in Calgary, or in Blackfoot Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage, that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klinchotene Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as the guest. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talk about today and want to talk, Call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also a text feature if you go to hopeforwellness.ca. Non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. If for those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel that I'd love to have you subscribe to. For podcasts, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jenna, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Melissa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Sharon, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. And a huge announcement, we just got nativecalgarian.com up. So if you're interested, go check out my website and, you know, give me your email, all that fun stuff. I'm super excited because uh, I have Matt with me. Matt, thank you for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having me. You've been such a good ally to me and I, I want to be in support of you as much as possible. Oh, I'm so grateful. You know, um, just before we got started, I was telling you how much Black Lives Matter stopping the Pride Parade in Toronto 
has changed the trajectory of my life. Um, you know, when I was, I, I'm still with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Committee here in Calgary. And at that time, we weren't emphasizing enough on the two-spirit issue. So when that uh, parade was stopped, here in Calgary, we had this big community meeting. And it was basically anyone racialized who was in the queer community was welcome to come, including allies. So I showed up because I wanted to make it very clear that we have a real problem. And the real problem is that we're not acknowledging our two-spirit who are experiencing racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, violence back home, violence in the city. Like it was, like I, I just felt really sad and hopeless at the time. And, um, mm. you know, because the National Inquiry wasn't yet really a thing. And, um, you know, and I, and the other part was like, oh, I should give you some background on that. Like that whole thing was, it felt like it was excluding families from the start. And a lot of families feel, still feel that way. Um, so a lot of uh, trauma really came from just having the inquiry. And we've seen that already with the TRC. So we knew that was going to be a real problem. So we tried to, uh, you know, emphasize that. But government is government is government. And they don't, they have a colonial process. And they don't really give a shit if you're in the middle of a genocide, right? So, you know, that that is just our reality. So when Voices uh, first got together, you know, it was... It was a hard first month. Um, it was Evan's yellow old woman or myself, you know, each week telling others like decolonizing them because we had all these like newer Canadians, new immigrants um, that didn't understand colonialism. So it was that, you know, I don't like to say that lateral violence, but it was racism against racism in a sense because there wasn't an understanding of what happened with Indigenous. So there was a lot of like hard emotional um, labor of explaining it but we eventually like really united and understood each other and I mean ultimately you know every day you experience racism that Absolutely. you know that is our common commonality and that's the biggest picture we have to unite on mm -hmm. so you know it, and it really changed me because you know I'm still straight and cis I'm not going to change that but my my worldview shifted when I read this book called The Importance of Monogamy and the author, she um, really taught the history of how Christianity forced the binary and forced the, um, you know, marriage through law so that they could make the Canadian legal system work on these lands. And um, when you, when you, you, like, that was a world uh, shift for me, like a worldview shift, because it was clear the straight agenda was forced on these lands and that our culture and our belief systems were erased. And... Um, or attempted to, I should say. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you're absolutely right. When I think, when I think about just what you said, um, I'm I'm currently studying uh, my undergrad in equity studies. Um, everything you were saying is about hegemonic practices that are that have been uh, from uh, white settlers that are just trying to like infiltrate their beliefs onto us, and like, not everybody meets the 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 cisgendered heteronormative relationships there are people that follow follow into certain sex and uh certain categories and so to like label people under one set category it does not have the broad spectrum of the lgbtq2ia community we are a community that is broad vast diverse and our voices are here and our voices need to be heard Yes, 100%. I'm so 
grateful. Um, I was lucky enough to have Sharon, who does identify as a lesbian. She was my elder and she passed away. Um, but she gave me such a huge base of understanding how our ceremony, you know, isn't supposed to have sexism and homophobia and transphobia. So, um, you know, I, I've always been trying to reclaim our, our culture, but with strong understanding that, you know, not at the expense of, you know, um, women, girls, we, and Two-Spirit, we experience so much, so much ugly violence. And I just, I, I have to get away from that. We have to heal from that, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it, it's just changed my worldview in general, and, and we got to start creating that safe space. So hats and off to Black Lives Matter in Toronto for helping this little Denny in the middle of Alberta try to do her reclaiming of who she is, so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah. and you're absolutely right. Like at, at a time of 2020, when we see uh, murders like Regis Kuczynski, uh, Peckhat, and George Floyd, mm -hmm. um, Breonna Bri Taylor, all of this stuff, like when you're seeing all of these people get, get shunned out, it's like, where are we supposed to go? We're supposed to be vocalizing whatever it is that we need to vocalize and we can't do it because we're not doing it right so of course people are going to fight back right it's just natural oh my gosh yes uh one of the things that i have the deepest respect for you is the conversation that you've been leading nationally on the conversion therapy ban and i i'm just so honored that we get to talk about that alone let alone everything else so um it looks like somebody's been doing some work <laughs> yeah it's a lot so I'll, I'll do a i'll do a little bit of an introduction to to myself and then we can go on to we can go on to some uh of the more business side of things if, if i may yes so, please first and foremost um so hi my name is matt ashcroft i go by he him pronouns i'm a settler at takarano so i currently reside there right now um so um i um I recognize that I'm in a stolen land. I am by Mississauga's the New Credit River. Mm. Um, uh, I am a gay black male, mixed race. Uh, my, dad, my dad is a Jamaican man. Um, he has uh, essentially had his uh, colonization at, when, I, uh, when I was at an early age to be hetero, uh, for me to be hetero. Mm. I remember when I was growing up, um, one of the first conversations that my dad has said to me was, if you were to change one thing about yourself, what would, you, what would it be? Or if you were to change one thing about me, what would it be? I said, I wouldn't change anything about you, dad. And he said, you know what I would change about you? Oh, no. Oh, and then, yeah, he got me. He got me. So that was the birth of me being shame and guilted for my sexuality. And so I kept, I, 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 I uh, succumbed to Christianity, which is, uh, uh, to me, it's a horrible religion. Um, and I just feel that um, we could, like, I could personally do, like, I could personally try to find people online that um, I can connect with. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I found this Facebook group in 2012. Um, I, I don't know if it's still running or not, um, but it was inside of the group were a bunch of same-sex attracted men who identified as gay, but they now identify as ex-gay. And so um, 
I found that because I was looking for Bible studies and I was looking for people and I was looking for validation. Um, when I found that, I found people that I thought that I could connect with because um, I didn't I didn't necessarily um, uh, want to be gay at that time, but I I knew that there was something different about me and like the, the way that I am and like I just feel like like the nurturing spirit that I have. I I felt like I could not only be a support to people that were same sex attracted or SSA. Um, but I can figure out ways and tools for me to grow into being heteronormative. So I was co uh, coaxed into this guy who promoted conversion therapy to me, promoted it for two years. Um, I finally went to it and it, it, it like it instantaneously changed my life in the worst possible way. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, it was, it was quite rough. Um, do have to caution, uh, caution, uh, your viewers that there's going to be some trigger warnings when it comes, when it comes to what I say, because I feel that it's important. So I essentially went to this camp that they promoted. Um, they, ho they host camps all over the world. Um, this one happened to be in Pennsylvania, which was near where I lived in, uh, Belleville, Ontario, Canada. So so I drove there with a friend, um, a friend of mine, we actually met on, we met on Facebook, but he's from my hometown. So we decided to go to this conversion therapy camp together. And so um, when, when, when we drove down, we were, talk, we were talking and um, we were just like excited to see what was going on. We finally went to this camp and first thing that they did was they made us sign a waiver to just uh, I, I don't remember what's on the waiver um but i had to sign a waiver and it was in a building and then we went outside of the building to to this entire campground because they rent this entire campground mm -hmm. there was this one guy with a stick um he he stood there waiting for me to like come up to him and I didn't know who any of these people were, and I had no idea what I was walking into. First thing that I was said that was said to me was, "Why are you here?" And I'm like, "Oh, I thought you knew." Like, um, and I'm like, so like I'm being forced to essentially like share to somebody that I I don't know. Um, there was two other guys that said some things I can't remember. The last guy said, "What was your greatest fear?" my greatest fear was not being able to get the love in the relationship with my dad. So this guy, a short Jewish guy, took in a breath. He was like, walk this way, please. So I go into this building. Um, it was, it's a small building um, where there was guys in a circle in chairs where there was a candle in the middle of like guys hugging each other, something that you get out of Michael's craft store. I also remember that there was trash bags taped onto the windows so that nobody can look in and nobody can look out. Um, we that sounds we, secret. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I, I wonder why they're hiding. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, um, uh, spoiler alert, because it's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so we were not allowed to talk. 
And then we just were sitting there reflecting on our pain. And that was essentially the very start of the weekend. Um, there, some of the, some of the, um, some of the stuff that I had to do was psychoanalytics. So I remember there was a punching bag that was horizontally on the ground. They said that the reason why I was gay was um, uh, an absent father and an overprotective mother. And they stood by that. Or if you get sexually assaulted, then, then that is the reason why that you're gay because you got, you got raped when you were a child. <laughs> and um, so I remember I had this baseball bat in my hand and this punching bag, and I, they were wanting me to beat this punching bag with a baseball bat. So I was whacking it over and over and over again, again saying, fuck you, I hate you, dad. Like, you, like, like you're, you're, you're an awful person in my life. And I remember um, there, was this, there was this indigenous guy um, that was leading the conversion therapy camp that, that I was in. He grabbed me behind the back and he held me because he saw me that whacking that punching bag so hard and my arms were frozen like i could not hold my arms and then i just they had they had this makeshift mirror something that was horizontal <coughs> they held <coughs> sorry they held onto the mirror and um they told me to look in it directly like directly at this mirror and then i was crying while looking at myself in the mirror this is just one example but just to say that it took years and years of depression uh and years and years of trying to like like it took a pr pretty much 18 months for me to like go full in to like to like watch videos of how damaging conversion therapy is and me seeing this right in front of my eyes, I was sad, depressed, upset, and alone. Mm -hmm. And um, I could not find any supports because nobody wanted to talk about something that was like important to me. And so I remember my activism started when the movie Boy Race came out. Um, that's that's when it started and then one of my one of the leaders of the, my conversion therapy camp came out as well so that was the birth of my activism because i saw for who these people really were which are frauds so that's this the essentially the start of my story <laughs> wow yeah yeah honor your story so much thank you for sharing that i um you know i I've seen like camp, uh, it's like this like documentary on the insanity of Christian camp and how they do that, you know, indoctrination. Uh, but I, I mean, my family were Indian residential school survivors. So, um, mm. you know, we have that uh, Catholic root system telling us we're inferior, savage, pagan. So I'm the first uh, generation to, you know, do ribbon skirts and, and ceremony on a regular basis and uh, trying to encourage my daughter. And her, she'll be the first generation that isn't supposed to be told that, but, you know, she went to, um, I made the mistake of putting her in the CBE, and for the year that she was there, she was exposed to homophobia, and we just listened to their end of year, you know, celebration, and it was just trauma porn, you know, like, if you're, you're, it was very clear it was mainly immigrants or new Canadians that were um, part of that, and if, 
that was your only exposure to Indigenous education. Like, they just love that white saviorism that, oh, we're saving these children from gangs, bullshittery. So I was really disappointed. Um, so she's really keen on homeschooling. I think we're going to do that because I just don't want her exposed to racism. I don't want her exposed to, they would dismiss her point of view. Like she's like an actual proud indigenous person in the classroom and regularly dismissed her or how she said it would, they would repeat back what she said as if they were saying it for the first time. So I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. And the way they talked to me at the interview, I'm like, mm, I don't want her there. So, yeah. you know, like this is the not Indian residential school. This is just regular schooling. And I'm like, no, this is harmful too. This is hurtful to a children's spirit. So mm -hmm. we, we just have such different ways of looking at everything. But the first time I was ever exposed to the idea of a conversion camp was that hysterically funny movie. Um, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a cheerleader. And I thought it was kind of funny because it's like, oh, how many people actually hook up at a, at a place like that? But then, of course, when I started oh. to learn more, it was more <laughs> of a you know, like, hey, now we're united in our trauma, the way a lot of Indian residential school survivors relate to the shit that they had to go through with these stupid government policies of indoctrination, so. Yeah. Oh, what you just said is so multi-layered. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> so, so there's, there's so much to unpack. Let's, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's just, the, let's just go to the first one. I'm I took last year, uh, last, last summer, I took a social inequalities in education class. Mm -hmm. And we're realized, like, this is the uh, U.S.-based. Um, the U.S.-based, in, in an institutionalized setting, has, a, has rich upper-class schools and lower-class schools. And what, some of them are funded more than others. And there is, uh, there's an article by John Ogbu called The Burdens of Acting Too White. Mm. If you act too white, for example, this is my case as, as a black male. Um, if you act too white, then you're going to be shunned with your black friends and they're going to make fun of you. If you act too black, then the teachers are going to uh, put, you, uh, put you and label you as a problem. So yeah. where does it leave the mental health of black people that are going through the education system? Especially when uh, people that have... Um, their PhD degrees, they would like to essentially write out black voices. And so it's, uh, it's pretty sad and interesting with that. Um, the second thing that uh, you, we were, you were talking about is people in, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, we're hooking up. So <laughs> one of the stories that I have that I actually never shared with anybody um so first <laughs> so so hmm so once upon a time so um in conversion therapy you have to like sign an agreement uh to state that you're not allowed to have sex with anybody in the camp oh so here are these so he, well, mm. So here in the <laughs> laws are meant to be broken, aren't they? <laughs> so, 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 so here's my story. So once upon a time, um, so, so, um, I, the the friend that I went with, we we messed around, and um he got guilty and then he told the leader of the group 
we were on a, on a group call because that's what they that's what they had to do like anytime that you hook up with somebody you got to tell the leader that's that's a rule that you have to tell the leader i have no idea what the leader wants to do with that information but that's just what starts i think we know i think we already know bro <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you're so funny <laughs> so essentially um, all right so i i told the leader of the camp uh essentially what happened and then i was apologizing and um he was like matt you need to you need to adhere the the rules of the group um we can't have you blah 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 and then i'm like i was crying i was like i'm so sorry and then he was like i honored that and i'm like are you fucking kidding me like are you serious you're honoring me not being able to like have something so natural to like who I am and what I do. Yeah. Like that's, 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 that's like, I feel that is a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. So uh, I ended up sad and I ended up essentially losing a friend because of the, uh, the homophobia and the hegemonic practices that were practiced in the group. And, um, it's really sad because all of them were, are wanting to attain um, heteronormativity in that group. Um, everybody had to be in this same mindset and nobody was willing to, nobody was willing to like be truly authentic. It's weird because like, I remember their, their words were authenticity is being authentic to a deity being authentic to god and like i have an opinion being authentic to god doesn't doesn't make sense if you don't believe in a god but like but at the end of the day if you want to be really authentic to yourself you have to uh you have to love yourself and be in tune with yourself and part of being in tune with yourself is you have to like experience the life the nature and the beauty with other people and other creation that is around you mm. that's beautiful i uh, i honor that you shared that thank you i think a lot of people need to um do you label it spiritual abuse because i i do i label it spiritual abuse i do a lot okay i do i i i uh, i labeled it spiritual abuse uh emotional abuse um yeah. um i i i feel that i have complex uh post-traumatic stress, stress disorder mm -hmm. when it comes to this like for example i witnessed somebody's rape story in front of my eyes i don't know if they're dead or alive um so they reenacted somebody else's rape story and then uh with with what they were saying um Actually, I said it in, in, into detail in a, a CTV W5 interview that I've done. Mm. But, essentially, um, but essentially, they reenacted the rape story, and this guy was repeatedly yelled, stop, uh, and crying. Um, and I just don't know if he's okay. Um, I have his number, but I'm too afraid to call him because they messed me up so much. Of course. Yeah. you don't know where they're at no it's um i know where one person is at um sure. other than that i don't know if anybody else is dead or alive yeah I'm that's, sure. that's, and that's a real fact mm -hmm. that's uh something that we have to live with 
I'm I'm so sorry. Um, we just had that conversation about conversion therapy banning here in, in Calgary, and uh, you know we have so many homeless people uh, who have gone through their traumas, usually rejection at home. And uh, there were stories that I was you know gifted to be honored to hear about conversion therapy, um, you know mentality here right in my neighborhood, frankly. And uh, so let, let's just say that not all the churches are affirming here. And um, as a result, you know, so many people were fighting. It, it was hard listening to the two days of people telling their stories because, um, you know, you so magically told us your, you know, this example, like where you feel it, you, you're taking into a different world and you feel what you're going through. And it, and it feels like, like it's such an honor to hear somebody else's story and journey. And, and, and if we don't honor that, then it's not. And in our world, we are taught that once you're a witness, you have to, um, you know, be an ally. You can't unlearn those things, right? So you would mm. have folks like yourself telling these basically horrific stories in less than five minutes. And then um, you'd have some, you know, zealot then talk, say the most awful things that you could say that I know every Indian residential school survivor heard and some didn't live because of results of these awful words that were said to them. And, um, you know, and, and, and it hurts me that whether it's, you know, if you're LGBTQ2+, you have to be exposed to this at all in 2020, um, let alone to, you know, fight for equal rights. I can't even believe we have to have this conversation. But ultimately, Canada has failed 100% when it comes to, um, you know, trauma-informed therapy and intersectionality. I mean, you and I seem to be very able-bodied, but Jesus... Mm -hmm. So we're talking about racism, we're talking about queer identity and, you know, ableism, like there's so many intersects. And if we're not fundamentally looking from that route, then you're always excluding somebody somewhere. Always. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like back in the, because I participated in uh, the call to Calgary, mm -hmm. which um, I call, um, I called out a certain doctor, um, which I'm really proud of because essentially going after our people and um, little did they know that I had a therapist that went to the same university that they did. I'll say they just for the sense of like, I know who you are and I really want to mention your name. Mm -hmm. But, um, but at the end of the day, I like, I, I remember Calgary and, it, it, and was just listening to these calls of these people and I was just like oh, this is the exact same that I thing that I've heard like essentially my entire Christian walk like yeah we we claim to love you but we don't love you enough like you know I like I know every single argument I know every single argument that these people make and then I just like use that to my advantage mm. because I want to show people the with with limited amount of time that the amount of hurt and agony that they put people through. And if, if, if it's interesting that a community like Christianity that promotes love and acceptance has a hard time being loving and accepting themselves. Yes. That's a problem with the system. That's why the system needs to be dismantled. You know, this um, poster that's right behind me here, it's actually a sign. So we ta duct taped it. So I can't actually turn it. But on the other side is, um, you know, one of those biblical pictures of Jesus, like on top of a rock, talking to his shepherd or his flock of people. And uh, it says something to the effect like, um, 
you know, love thy neighbor. Um, and it says like, well, what about the LGBTQ too? So I'm like, did I fucking stutter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sure. Real sure. Yeah, so that was gifted to me in Tabor, Tabor, Alberta. Um, so hey. we, yeah, so me and my, uh, oh, David Kahn is the, the leader to the oh, Liberal yes, Party. Oh, yes, David yeah. Kahn, yes. Yeah, and, and brown and openly gay. And um, I, like, texted him, like, hey, I'm going to go down to Tabor, because the very first year they wanted to put up the pride flag, the municipal building, like, all of the, their uh, counselors were like, well, it sounds pretty controversial, so no. So they, they decided they weren't going to raise it. So then at that time, the NDP were actually in charge. And one of the ministers, her name is Sandra Jansen. And I, I, I love her to pieces, but she had to get off Twitter because they were so awful to her. Anyway, she was like, hey, I'm in charge of the municipal or the uh, provincial building down in Tabor. We'll put it up there. So I'm like, David, why don't you come with me? Let's go down. So we go down and, um, you know, they blocked off the area. The cops did it. I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> there were like four big redneck trucks that kept circling us and like revving their engines right so they were going around the block to watch us and um and then it got burnt down and like people had to like set up camps to watch the stupid fucking flag because of the amount of hate that was there so we've gone back and of course this year with covid we couldn't but um you know before last year this was gifted to me from one of the cool cats there that also identified as like me a conservative monogamous you know, heterosexual couple and just great people down there that, that get it, right? So, you know, I really want to support that pride as long as I possibly can. And even like this week here, we got um, Airdrie's a rainbow sidewalk got tarred and feathered. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so uh, like it, it's still really homophobic out here, but it's still really Christian. So it's it's not by chance those two are so interlinked when it's so like the actual messages of Jesus is supposed to be love everybody and we're all sinners. And I don't love that messaging either because, well, I don't even believe in Christianity, but a bigger picture that to tell somebody they're inferior, no matter what, anyway, um, like, you know, in our culture, we talk about being humble and knowing that we, we don't understand everything. So uh, I'll say that all the time. Like there's something bigger than what I understand. Um, but it's not because I'm an inferior being. I'm just human, right? <laughs> yeah. well, well, essentially, you're just talking about Christianization and like, like, like what what the what the Indian Act had like inflicted on other people, like people getting people getting Christianized and telling telling them that you have to follow this functionalist heteronormative life uh, lifestyle, yeah. use lifestyle. Um, as a way that we have to have this certain mold, this is not a special rights. This is human rights, and for for all of us yeah. to be to be wanting to have equity, we all should we all should have a language of equity. Even LGBTQ people, yeah. Q2 people. Sorry, um, uh, it is a way for us to all come together. And to like listen to to each and every one of the people that are in that banner, and and to really listen and to really work together as a community. Do we really want to be labeled as somebody that that battles with each other, or do we really want to come together? And if we really want to come together, we really have to listen, and we have to do a better job of listening too. Oh gosh, yes, and um, well, and even frankly, like I was telling you, 
in the last four years, my life has changed so much. Um, you know, I've really had to address my own internalized um, anti-blackness. Um, I keep telling people about, you know, really listening to David Chappelle without any judgment is a change because I grew up with Oprah telling me no one should ever use the word N. And if they do, then whatever they have to say is negated. Well, that really limited my own belief system, my own thinking. So, um, you know, even me, I've had to address and listen. And Islamophobia, a lot more complex, um, anti-Semitism. I have a friend out here and uh, they may not appreciate me naming them, but you know, they're black, they're, they're, they were raised Jewish. So they have like all of these intersectionalities to them. And that really, um, you know, helped me open my eyes to a lot of things because I always talk about indigenous rights and Palestinians having an indigenous rights. And um, it's so easy to see anti-Semitism as well. Like they, they should be separate. They can be separate, but a lot of the conversation is just so gross actually it's really hard to even have that discussion about you know uh you as a as a half jamaican you know being colonized in jamaica like that's a conversation about indigenous rights and uh you know indigenous understanding so under i talk about UNDRIP a lot which is the united nation declaration of rights of indigenous people so you know that would apply to the palestinians in palestine that would apply to you in uh jamaica that would apply to the inuit that would apply to me wherever we're original people are from and um you know we're not really having that discussion and it just so is easily um goes into different worlds and then being born and raised in in central alberta like anti-blackness is so um propagated just as anti-indigenous is propagated so you know that for me it was a lot of unlearning internalized racism yeah. Oh, it's a lot. I know. I can't oh, have small discussions. Eh? No, no. I mean, woo, you're on fire. <laughs> you're on fire, girl. So there's a lot to unpack with that. And like, it's interesting that you pointed out, um, you pointed out um, like your own internalized racism. Yeah. And that's not your fault. Right. And that's, and so what I, what I would like to remind everybody that is considered uh, a minority or a minority minority in my case yeah. um, is essentially that we all have to like really dig, dig deep and explore how whiteness and how Christianization and how white society has, has, not, has made it more about them and less about us. Yes. And so, so of course we're going to have like, 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 um, we're, of course we're going to wrestle. Of course we're going to like try to like deco uh, decolonize our minds. We have to. And it's great because in, in the realm of 2020 with everything of what is going now, nobody can hide. Yeah. And, and the, the best part about it is, um, you know, with with uh, with the idea of George Floyd and and everything that happened, and people are starting to finally get it, and we are we are getting. Um, I don't really like to call uh, allyship with white people because I I feel like I feel like I feel like white people need to 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 do a lot more to like listen instead of speaking uh, for other. Uh, other my, uh, marginalized people because I don't think that's fair but at the end of the day like 
if you really want to know about something, you got to listen. Because there are times that when, when we get upset, we, we get angry, we get frustrated, and those people, um, those people are not listening to like how this is affecting, but they're wanting to like support their cause, which is, again, um, it's, 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 um, it's not equitable. And if we really want to like do some changes, then we really got to listen to the people that have been affected the most. That's Hallelujah. really the most important thing in this. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that's why, um, I, I don't know how many of my listeners have been exposed to people who have owned conversion therapy and said, look, this happened to me and it was wrong. And I, um, I mean, anyone who listened to the Calgary two day thing probably heard some of these stories, but I think, um, you know, having that black intersectionality is not something a lot of people understand because, you know, your marge, it's that it, the way people look at you because you're black is dismissed the same way that as people look at me as an indigenous woman and dismiss me and the way my daughter was dismissed at school, all these things that like start adding up. Right. And, um, and you're trying, you're looking for help. You know, um, I, I started running something called mending broken hearts and it talks about intergenerational trauma indigenous people face. And then like uh, little steps to, you know, try to unpack that trauma. And I mean, most of us don't, you know, we need counseling, but we don't have places to go for counseling. Like Alberta Healthcare has no concept. They don't even admit I exist half the time. And if I do show up, if I have the audacity to get health, healthcare in any show, shape or form, I'm like red flagged in a negative way, right? So it's like, it's not real healthcare. It's a detriment to my health. So um, anyway, anyway, I'm getting off track. What am I trying no, to okay. say? We need more trauma-informed care and counseling for everybody that is understanding about intersectionality, like, you know, th these different experiences, so. That is actually my next project. And we'll yes. talk about that later. <laughs> okay, you go. This is your show. You go. <laughs> no, um, no it's, uh, you, you made a really good point. Um, accessibility. We're talking, like, we're talking about equity and accessibility. How is it that people with insurance um, are considered more privileged and have more access to mental health than what we do. Um, that's simply put, um, health uh, care should include mental health services and it should be a necessity for everybody. Because if we are the human race, we need to be human to ourselves and to other people. Right, and I have most of these like, whether, and I see it with social workers, I see it with counselors, they're a white. They don't understand. They don't experience racism. I mean, to them, thinking of white fragility is to them is racism. And it's like, really? So how am I supposed to feel safe and unpack like, like real in like racism when it's they're gaslighting me when I'm supposed to be in counseling or worse, I'm educating them on my experience of being indigenous because you know, they're privileged enough to be able to afford to go to university and do the whole thing, but I'm not. And I'm discounted because, you know, um, well, a million reasons, you know, you're, you understand, you'd go through it all the time. So. Mm -hmm. And like, for example, I'll give you an example, like, because I went through conversion therapy, I, um, and I spent a lot of money on it. Um, I had, I went to school late. So like, I'm like, technically speaking, I'm still in my like first year of university. Actually, sorry, I just finished my first year of university. 
and um none of the not, like university was not ex accessible to me like i didn't like i didn't have like i didn't I, like i didn't have all the things that i needed to like get me to succeed and like sometimes i feel like the, when people just take one look at me they 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 that's all they see and they don't see like the 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 intellect the reasoning the 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 political they just see they just see the outward appearance and they think that they know with what they see no and, and they don't yeah and that is a that is a problem with with society today yeah. do you, like do you really want to know who and what people are like know them from their character and like start there first we have so much to unpack and I, I and I just aim like I aim to do that with myself and with like others in the next uh, couple of months to come and just like just to be together and to be community, especially with the people that I love, like conversion therapy survivors. I just feel like that um, conversion therapy survivors for a long time needed to have supports and the pe people that support them. Mm. and um it's it, it was just not there throughout the years of the the of conversion therapy fight um because ed, media is pretty interested on ending conversion therapy but to do the hard work is like to offer supports and so i would just like to see what i can do to like support the people that i love because i get them i really do <laughs> Yeah, no, and I want that too. Like, uh, to me, we're we're always talking about trauma and healing that trauma and working, like, not healing it. I mean, trauma is trauma, but it's unpacking it, unpacking it so that you can talk about it so that you can uh, move on. And I mean, ultimately, I want to thrive. I want everyone who's Indigenous to thrive. I want anyone under the LGBTQ2 plus spectrum to thrive, like, not just, not just survive, thrive. That's exactly the reason why um, I was partnered with um, a couple of very good friends of mine. Um, uh, so essentially I'm one of uh, three co-founders of a group called ctsurvivors.org. It just launched yesterday, I'm so excited. Um, so ctsurvivors.org is based by um, uh, Rocky Tishma. Rocky Tishma is a survivor that just um, shared his story to me. I met him in a a gay dating Facebook group. Nice. <laughs> but um, but we were um, he was alone and he was upset and he was crying and he was he didn't feel empowered and I'm just here listening to his story and I was like, do you know who I am? <laughs> like, and I was like, I, I was like. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, no. <laughs> He's like, so I, I just told you my trauma. What the hell, man? And you're no, like, like, well, by like, chance, you, you're I telling. Was, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I did this because, like, I saw so much potential in this guy. Totally. And, like, here he, here he is just living his full potential and just, just thriving. And it's very beautiful to see. Like... He he started when I first met him. He started. He was crying. He was depressed. He was, um, like uh, I won't get too much into the story, but he was just really depressed. And like, um, now he is uh, co-founder of this group, and is just really wanting to like 
make a change and like not not only make a change but be the the change of integrity and it's just really wonderful to see that makes me so happy it's so great okay welcome back (laughs) (laughs) i know right i should have stopped it oh well i'll just make a note 40 minutes yeah (laughs) okay so the second person that i really want to uh the second co-founder of this group is a guy named um Dr. Michael Ferguson. Dr. Michael Ferguson is a neuroscientist out of Harvard Medical. Um, He is a very good friend of mine. He's actually one of my heroes. On the second day that I was at conversion therapy, the Jewish guy that I was talking to at at the beginning of the show, the Jewish guy was uh, talking about some legal case and, and them suing. He was like, if you don't want to change, you don't necessarily have to come. So he's like almost like convincing us that we couldn't sue them or we couldn't get them in trouble or something along those lines because we like, they were like, if you don't want to change, you don't have to do it. I'm like, okay, so like, what am I missing? So like, here I am getting these periodic emails um, about their legal case and um, uh, Jonah lost and um, Michael Ferguson won and so that was like uh, Michael Ferguson's journey and so essentially he was the person that I've been wanting to connect with for five years and so I finally get to like meet with him do some talks with him like he's a super wonderful amazing guy I love him to death and he's just really wanting to like pursue this fight with uh, honesty and, t- and integrity. And in this movement, that is exactly what I want is I want to hold these, uh, hold people accountable for honesty and integrity and get real data with real research with people that are really wanting to make a difference in this world. And th- it starts by a couple of people that are having a vision uh, and wanting to do wanting to like just build genuine friendships it's not about leaders it's not about who does what as long as we are together and as long as we we um pursue this out of honesty and integrity that is the thing that i would really like the most right that community that sense of healing and and that journey together because that's like when we talk about that um you know counseling that we go through like i i say at the very start i'm like i will not heal you that is not my job that I wish if I could heal everything I would, but I can't. And it, it, it's about that inner journey. And by me sharing it with you or with ever, whoever is there, that helps us empower us and get us to the next level to keep m- moving on in our healing journey. Right. So I think that that community, like that's what you're doing together. Yeah. And that makes me happy. I really enjoy it because like, it's like, Part of being in tune with yourselves is to like have people that you can be relatable with. And we all have like intricate stories. Like there's a, there's another guy who had been through 40 years of conversion therapy and I knew him from conversion therapy and, um, and never like, it never worked for him. And now he's living his life as a gay man and being authentic and free. And he's actually one of my heroes because I saw him come out and like, here he is thriving and like trying to be as successful as possible. And I absolutely love the guy and I, 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 I know that he's going to do well. And it's just such a pleasure and an honor to like meet him to be friends with him for pretty much um, 
five to six years. Oh, um, amazing. It, it's, it's really beautiful to see with like some really awesome, amazing people. And I'm just glad to be a part of um, this journey with, with um, gay men, which we're trying to be more than intersectional. And we're trying, we're, we're trying to find people that are, uh, that are uh, cis women, trans, uh, trans women, trans men, two-spirited people, um, non-binary pers uh, persons, Mm -hmm. Anybody that has experienced conversion, conversion therapy, I feel that we just need to have more of a community that would be able to like talk about stuff that we don't normally share to anybody else. Yeah, I think that That's there's a common... I get it. Yeah, yeah. If you have that common experience, you understand it. So I, uh, I think that that's the best people to talk to. It's like racism. Like, I'm not explaining racism anymore. If you don't get it, then we're not having the conversation. You get it, obviously, so I don't need to. But it's just, you know, um, same with whatever experience in Indian residential schools, conversion therapy. You know, we, we need to heal from this and move forward um, mm -hmm. so that we can all be our authentic selves and, and thrive not just survive but thrive absolutely absolutely that's very important and if you want more information please visit ct survivors on uh, every single social media platform so ct survivors um the twitter uh, the twitter and the instagram page has just launched so so we don't really have we don't we don't really have a lot of content out but the website is out it's ctsurvivors.org i encourage you to check it out and reach out to anybody that you that you may wish uh, we're all here together and we're just wanting to thrive together well and my hope is um you know it's back to that intersectionality like in a lot of natives i don't even know if they know what conversion therapy is i mean um Indian residential school I feel like is conversion therapy camp <laughs> only it's very much like your lose your language lose your culture lose your sexuality you know this is the only way um, and and like in my own family we've been really affected by domestic violence because of that spiritual abuse that belief system that you know you stay married to one man even if he's almost killed you repeatedly and like to this day, my grandma's really proud that she's never divorced my grandfather. So, and I, it, it breaks my heart. They haven't been living together in a super long time, but it's not the point. The point is, is that it's that, you know, indoctrination and it, to lose that indoctrination is like, we got to, we got to heal from it. Yeah. Like there's so, there's so much that we can say about love and connection and what love and connection is supposed to be looking like for a multitude of people and all we have to do is just be patient with each other and listen and like really learn from other people's stories like sometimes sometimes i uh sometimes i come across as angry and a lot of people don't like it when i'm angry um there is reasons why that i'm angry and and um and I don't, I, I feel when it comes to injustices, especially the injustices that, that I experience on a regular basis, it's just undeniably sad that we focus on one thing or ourselves a little bit too much, but yet not willing to listen. It's true. I, um, that I know today, um, like we're talking June 30th, 2020, a lot of people are like, yeah, but white fragility is written by a white person. But the truth is, it was my Bible. 
because it, it's really helped me find the language, find the words, and, and encapsulate my experience of what it was that I was experiencing. And then add your intersectionalities of, you know, anti-blackness, of anti-queerness, you know, conversion therapy, telling you your sexuality, like that's its own um, sexual violence, that gender, gendered violence that we're, we, we have to heal from the spiritual abuse that's been still inflicted on us. So I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm really grateful that uh, to have you on the show and we will promote your um, survivors.org website when, when I have it right. I'll put it into our, our, our um, blog. Yo, absolutely. In the hopes that, you know, especially if you're kind of new to what is conversion therapy? Why are we having these conversations? Why did city council spend two days on it? You know, like I want people to know what it is. It's abuse. It's abuse at so many levels. And, uh, you know, I talk about MMIWG2 because, you know, that is gender violence. And this is gendered violence um, at a spiritual level that is just inconceivable, but it, every Indian residential school survivor gets it. So, it, you know, we have to unpack it. We have to look at our Canadian, you know, construct, what it was intended. And it was mm -hmm. intended to erase you. It was intended to erase me. And we have to, like, that. the ultimate systemic racism is, is in this conversation, right? So All people at Turtle Island, I'll say Turtle Island because it's not Canada. All people yeah. at Turtle Island need to be protected. Yes. And at the end of the day, we all need to listen to each other if we're wanting to be protected. Oh, 100%. Thank you. So I, I, I encourage you uh, all to go to ctsurvivors.org. Just a, it's a brand new website. And please follow me uh, on Twitter, MattAsh89. I'll be happy to have conversations with any single one of you. Awesome. I'll add your Twitter too so that I make sure we are connecting you because, you know, ultimately your voice, I want to be front and center on this because you have so many intersectionalities of importance to me. Um, I have a friend who, like, um, is in a wheelchair and I'm going to have him on the show next, but he, you know, so there's all these different intersectionalities. I'm, I'm able-bodied. So it's important to hear from the people directly affected. And I'm so honored that you would be on my that's, show. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are more than welcome. So what I do is I have this little piece here that I say at the end, just to basically honor my family. So if you want to stay on you're welcome to chime in as I speak, because um, you know, it, it's just, it's better that way. Mm -hmm. uh so i can't minimize when i'm doing this where's my there it is here's my conversation so um so basically you know what i try to do is give some solutions because you know we're going to give your resources as uh solutions so that people in the situation know about it um have places to go but also if you're not in that situation like someone like me i can tell other people where to go um Indigenous, and I'm going to include, you know, in this case today, conversion therapy survivors have been talking about issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to those parties directly impact marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, 
the multiple reports about child welfare reform, uh, violence prevention, 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. And today we were honored to have Matt talk a lot more about what spiritual abuse can look like. Our people mm -hmm. are experiencing extreme racism and in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from these election platforms and politicians is they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. They literally have zero business running. It should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, community associations, everything. Uh, a great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. So if you Google that, you'll find it. I want to also continue with cultural safety so that you can create a safer place for people who are Indigenous, people of color, Black, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+. Look at it as first aid. You know, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Taking action to make change. You have to speak out against racism or marginalization. Ask questions of those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system that can help you advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't expect this to always come from the marginalized voice. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your assumptions, your biases. And I tried to unpack a bit about that today. Uh, question everything you've learned about Indigenous and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Um, commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And here to help.bc.ca has a whole section on what is cultural safety and why I should care about it. And this can apply to all different things. Um, I have to unpack ableism, anti-blackness, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, all of these things. I'm always working on them because you learn an expression and you find out it's rooted in racism. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence. Marginalized folks face in the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Uh, we have the Indian Act, Indian Residential Schools, uh, land clearing policies that were all compounded to create this. Racial equities, racialequitytools.org has a whole section on what is internalized racism. Please Google it. There are podcasts, there are uh, books, there are so many resources on these things. I grew up in a generation where I had to know when the library would be open and I could go down and like get an encyclopedia and that would be the, that was the law. That was all I knew. Today, everybody has a phone. Everybody has a computer. There's no reason to be so ignorant on these issues. Um, also, there is uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention from American Friends Service Committee. What to do when you actually witness public instances of anti-gay, racist, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, um, other forms of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment. And there's some tips here. You know, do make your presence known as a witness. A lot of people are able to get away with what they do because silence is violence. And by you being like, oh, I'm just going to be here, mind my own business, then it's okay for, you know, some guy to be yelling at a Muslim woman. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. If possible, mm -hmm. make eye contact with the person being harassed. Ask them, 
if they want support. Move closer to the person. Create a barrier between the harasser and the attack, or the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, take a film, record it. It's a lot easier to delete it later than wish you had it. And take cues from the person being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser or not? Maybe you can make suggestions like, would you like me to walk over here with you? Do you want to move to another train car with me? Uh, do you want him to leave you alone? You know, follow their lead. If they're already harassing and resisting in their own way, honor that. Don't tone police the person being harassed. If they start yelling, and you know, I really appreciate Matt bringing up the idea of the angry black man. I'm the angry Indian. Um, Thomas King has a whole section on basically marginalizing, um, you know, the anger that comes from people who are marginalized and continually be harassed by people of privilege who do absolutely nothing. So it is actually part of that um, racism. So if you are tone policing somebody, you are literally contributing to this problem. Follow up with the person being harassed after the incident is over and see if they need anything. Um, so I, I really encourage people to, you know, have your card if you have them or take a sticky note and give them your name and your phone number and just give it to them because that validates their experience. And in the moment you're going through that fight, flight or freeze response and you're embarrassed and you don't really want to make a bigger scene than what's already happening. So give them your information. That's the way you can engage in a safe, good way. And then it could even be a few weeks before, you know, they contact you if they contact you. And just make a note, you know, like, hey, I was at the C train station on the platform at 4 p.m. on Friday, and I seen this guy in a green shirt harassing this uh, Muslim woman, whatever that looks like. Make a note of it so that when, if the police ask you, um, you, can, you can say, this is what's happened. Mm -hmm. Do what you need to do to both be safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there other people that can pull in for support? Please remember, if you're a bystander, then it's already two against one already, you know, and there might be other people willing to be like, Hey, if this guy's standing up, I'll stand up. And then it's three against one, you know, and well, I'm not saying get physical. I'm just saying that there's solidarity there and, and, and growth in numbers. Mm -hmm. So assess your surroundings and pull others in if you feel it's a good idea and, you know, see if you and the other person being harassed can go to a safer place. Don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment now, <laughs> and I think, Matt, you would probably know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Literally are naming names at this point. <laughs> you know, why we march. And, you know, the police can create a greater danger. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety, not incite further violence from the attacker. But don't do nothing because silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. Give them your card. And bloody hell, teach your kids about accountability in a positive way because these people are learning it from somewhere that it's okay to dismiss, you know, people of color, indigenous mm -hmm. women. All of these folks are being marginalized thanks to somebody else being like, ah, oh, no, it's okay. And and check in on the mental health of your black friends. Like like honestly, like at the end of the day, like 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 we're seeing this in real time in front of our faces, and we see the mental health like deteriorating with with people. Like I I can't go to every like I can't go to every protest. I actually I, haven't been the one because I'm terrified. I'm depressed and I'm scared and I'm sad. 
right? And but, you know, right there to check on me, right? That's yeah, right. And um, I actually started to experience anxiety for the first time in my life talking about these things. And what happened when I ended up having um, this COVID nineteen is that I've actually lost a lot of that anxiety. And there's this great expression, and I actually contact and contacted the prof in the states that uh, coined this term called racial battle fatigue and um, it's that ongoing trauma that we have like whether we're trying to white code whether we're white coding too much whether it's that anxiety that's thrown at us because we're experiencing racism i have found that so impactful and powerful it's had helped me so much right now in my life so um understanding that that like a lot of that anxiety is rooted in that racial battle fatigue right so I'm so grateful to yeah, have you. Yeah, I, I I actually really like that. Racial yeah, battle. no, and it helps encapsulate what it is we're experiencing and why uh, you know things are happening. Um, yeah. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation Inuit and hope. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at one eight five five two four two three three one zero. It is toll free and open twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to just speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure as hell want to tell us theirs. Usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Just typical microaggressions, you know, people dealing with internalized racism who then become gatekeepers, those who live off the status quo, people who are still in their trauma and they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And that's why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard. Mm. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny and my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child and support down my journey of the Red Road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they will understand. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jana, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Melissa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Sharon, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or, or did many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you, can value, if you value listening and learn something and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments and questions. I now have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe. I have a website and for podcasts, we have Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And one last thing, um, Matt, when do you think that you're going to be ready to start taking money too? 
Uh, right now. Right We're now? Right. Uh, and yeah. where do we go to give you money? Um, so you go into cpsurvivors.org and there is a donate section and you can donate there. Sweet. So even for today, like if you hear this and you're in the Toronto area and you're always looking for local um, groups to support, this is the one, man. And I would say nationally, you know. It is national. It. Yep. Yes, nationally. Do it, do it, do it. Because we need to support each other. I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin <laughs> would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Such a fun way to end, hey? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's so fun.